Hello. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome. Hey, guys. How's it going? Can we give it up for our worship team for leading us in musical worship? Thank you, man. You know, when I was your guys' age, for all of middle school and a big chunk of high school, I, like, really didn't enjoy, like, musical worship at all. And I thought it was because I wasn't a music guy, I didn't know how to play instruments. I, like, just didn't like it. I was always like, okay, we have to sing, but I like the game and I like the preaching. And I thought I just didn't understand musical worship, but at the time, I realized it's because I just didn't understand Jesus yet. That's what it ended up being. Isn't that weird? So at the time, I was like, I just don't like it. Why would I waste my time singing to God? But I didn't understand God yet. I didn't see God yet. And in true encounter with the Lord through his word, through understanding him, through him and uh, knowing him through faith, uh, leads us to worship. Uh, it guides us to worship. And the more we understand Jesus, the only correct response is worship. Now, we worship God in a lot of different ways, right? One of the ways we do it is singing, and that's why we believe it's so important to gather around because we're reminding each other the truth of the gospel. We're ascribing worth to God. We're responding to his goodness. We also worship him in serving and giving of, of our resources and of our time. There's so many different ways to worship God. My prayer for us going into camp is that we would know God so much that we would see him more clearly, that we couldn't help but worship him, serving him, singing to him. And the more and more I have gone to know and understand my own sinfulness, the more and more I understand my own depravity, the more and more I understand my own lust and pride and anger, the more thankful I am for Jesus and the more reason I have to sing to him. It's just a thought I was thinking before we started. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, we're seeing that Jesus is preparing the way for his ministry. Uh, Jesus is preparing to change the entire world uh, through the three-year ministry of preaching, uh, through the three-year ministry of healing, through the three-year ministry of teaching. Uh, Jesus is preparing to turn the world upside down. Last week, we saw that Jesus is the ultimate uh, victory over temptation, the ultimate victory over sin, right? Where Adam and Eve failed, Jesus steps in and saves the day. When the devil tempts him three times, Jesus withstands that temptation and is proven to be the perfect man, perfect God, the God in flesh that he claimed to be. He stood in our place when we couldn't. So we saw that last week. Two weeks ago, we saw John the Baptist uh, preparing the way, shouting, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And now tonight, we're about to see Jesus right about to begin his ministry here on earth. And things would never be the same. The title of the message is never the same because that's what happens when Jesus shows up on the scene. My understanding of who I am is never the same. My understanding of my brothers and sisters in Christ is never the same. My understanding of my own sin is never the same. Nothing is ever the same after a true encounter with Christ. And I don't know about, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the same person I was before Jesus. There's nothing for me that I didn't have. There's nothing before Christ that was worth anything. And tonight we're going to see as Jesus begins his ministry, as he begins to teach, as he begins to preach, as he begins to heal, he would change everything. This is a particular moment. And in life, we have uh, particular moments, per per particular uh, instances that completely 
uh, mark a season that has changed in our lives. You guys know what I'm talking about? There are certain moments in certain seasons that mark a brand new beginning or an end to something, right? There's a bunch of uh, examples. There's a season that can't be returned to. Now, this is a moment of substantial shift in the bedrock of your life. Now, some of these are more traditional, like graduations. Uh, some are deeply personal. Some are awesome, and some are really difficult. So think of the happy ones, right? Graduation. I don't know if you guys had an eighth grade graduation. That, like, kind of counts. It's like, like, you know, really pretty lame, but whatever. I had an eighth grade graduation. Uh, you're never going to be in middle school ever again. That's a substantial shift in your life. You're going into high school, right? Senior night, we had it a few weeks ago, and all the seniors in the room were very sad. Some of them were crying, um, but it represented them graduating, leaving our ministry. Uh, of course, not leaving the ministry of our church. They belong in the verge now, but we hand them off to the next season of life. These are happy, momentous occasions. These are really good things, right? To graduate, to move on to a different season is a really awesome thing. There are some uh, moments that are really sad. Maybe you've moved a home, um, from a home in your life. Right? If anyone grew up in like the same house from when they were like born to when they were like 12 or 11 or 13 or 14, and then they had to move, that's pretty tough, right? Walking out of your house for the last time, I don't know if you've ever been in that. You've walked out of an empty house and thinking, I'm never going to be back here again. Unless in the future I promise to buy this exact house and make it the exact same way because I'm mad at my parents for moving. I moved when I was in middle school, so you may understand a little bit of my uh, anger against that. So that's sometimes a sad moment. There might be moments where we have to say goodbye to a loved one. Maybe you've had that moment in your life. I remember saying goodbye to both of my grandparents, knowing it would be the last time I saw them in that hospital bed. That's really sad. It's a substantial moment where things change. And now there are some that are bittersweet. There's a little bit of good and there's a little bit of sad that comes with it. I think of when I moved out of my parents' house to start a brand new job in ministry when I was 20 years old. My parents drove my, drove my 1997 Jeep Wrangler, which, fun fact, had no heat in it at all. I moved to one of the coldest parts of the United States. And so I was driving this little Jeep that barely fit all my stuff in it, and it's freezing. My parents move into the new apartment, and they pray with me, and then they drive away. It's a bittersweet moment, right? There are certain seasons, there are certain instances where things just change. And tonight what we're going to read, it is no exaggeration to say that this will change the world. This is a moment in time where Jesus begins his ministry and he will change the world. There's a reason we're still talking about him 2,000 years later. It's because he changed the world because he was God. And the moment that Jesus shows up in your life, that is a moment that you can never return to your life before, before Christ. That's a moment you can never go back to. Nothing is ever the same when we encounter Jesus. The encounter of the person of Jesus Christ, you will never be the same. Your life will never be the same. And as he arrives on the scene to usher in the kingdom of God and to preach about the kingdom of God and to minister in the name of his father, in the name of the kingdom of God, uh, the world is never, ever the same. So let's pray. God, be with us as we read your uh, scripture. Be with us as we uh, worship you by listening and responding. Be with us as we uh, come to understand more of who you are and what it is that you came uh, to do in our lives. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 12. Starting in verse 12. If you're there, say, I'm there. If you're not, say, wait. Too bad. All right. 
Verse 12, it says this, Now when he had heard, that's Jesus, that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth where he lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and uh, Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. In the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The first point tonight, a light has dawned. A light has dawned. The prophet Isaiah predicted this hundreds of years, that the Messiah would usher in a great light in a world that seemed darkest. In a moment, in a space that seemed to be the darkest, a great light has shone. A great light would come and change things forever. Uh, Zebulun and Naphtali, these were two of the 12 tribes that settled in the northernmost region by the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Nazareth was in the territory of Zebulun, while Copernicum was in Naphtali. I had to write that down because I'm like, too many words, but whatever. A little geography lesson for you. All that to say is Jesus perfectly fulfilled in Matthew alone, uh, a sixth, this is number six of the prophecies that he has fulfilled, all right? Through his birth, through him uh, fleeing to Egypt, for him coming out of Egypt, there are so many things that have been predicted in scripture and every single one of them come true. That's something pretty awesome. The Old Testament points directly to Jesus and this is a direct quote from the prophet Isaiah saying this exact thing right down to the exact region that Jesus would come from. Pretty cool, pretty awesome. Pretty big coincidence if he's not God, but maybe he is. Down to the exact moment, and this is what the prophet says, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has shone. Jesus' mission on earth is to bring light to the darkest space of the universe, the human heart. The ministry and the life of Jesus is to bring light to the darkest place in history, our hearts. Yes. Our deepest anxieties, our deepest anger, our deepest lust, our deepest rage, greed, pride, whatever it is, it all dwells in every single person's heart. If you think you're a perfect person, then congratulations. But I think most of us in this room uh, know exactly what we struggle with. And the ministry of Jesus is to bring light to the place that only had death. Now, these regions, uh, many of the tribes of Israel, many of the people dwelling at the time would point to those specific two and say, that place is really, really lost. Like, we're doing okay, but these areas are doing really, really bad over here. And that's where Jesus shows up. Because Jesus shows up in dark places. Jesus shines brightest where things seem the darkest. That's the ministry of Jesus. In your heart, when you are at your lowest, right? The Bible describes us as enemies of God. The Bible describes us as having nothing good, having no understanding of right or wrong. In the darkest moment of your life, if you're a Christian, that's where Jesus shows up. And if you're dwelling in darkness right now, wrestling with sin, you don't know Christ, I promise you, this is the moment in time where you can come to know him. In the darkest spaces of the world, a great light would shine. Jesus' mission is to shine up the darkest spaces ever imaginable. Where do you need light? Where do you need light? 
What darkness is haunting you right now? What hopelessness are you wrestling with? What anxieties are crowding your affection for Jesus? Where do you need light? Which sin do you need to be washed from? Because I can promise you, you are never in anything, you are never going to be able to do enough good works to have a little spark of a little candle that might be able to shine brightness and light into the depths of your depraved soul. You need a bright light. You need Christ who describes himself in the book of John as the light of the world. That's who we need. Predicted for thousands of years, a group of people listening, waiting to hear God's voice, wanting to hear from him, needing to know where to go. Many of these people are poor. Many of these people don't know uh, how they're going to get their next meal. Many of these people are, are wrestling with sin, and they don't even know it. They don't even know what sin is yet. To those people, a great light has shone, and their lives are never the same. And this is, this is something that we celebrate if you know Christ. While the world expects a king, a conqueror, a leader, and a messiah to reign with an iron fist, God sends a lamb and a great light. When the world says we need to take this land back from the Romans, we need a strong leader, the one who's been promised in scripture, God says someone who's going to feed the hungry and heal the sick. In our lives, we need this light. A great light has shown. That's who we need. You see, Jesus has his own agenda. If any of the Old Testament shows us anything, God is powerful. And if any of the New Testament shows us anything, it shows us that Jesus has his own agenda and is equally as powerful as God. So many of us look at this passage and want that hope, desire that hope. And I promise you that you could have this hope for yourself today. From the shadow of death on them, a great light has dawned. You see, we all need Jesus. But Jesus has an agenda of his own. When the world was looking for Jesus to fulfill a certain spot, they constructed a few ideas, right? They kind of pictured a person in their mind. They pictured an emperor, a conqueror, someone. And they hand-selected certain things they wanted to be. Powerful? Yes, absolutely. A great warrior? Sure, maybe. That would be super awesome. Uh, he can lead uh, a militaristic conquering. Yeah, that would, that would be great. He will never die, right? He can go into a million battles, right? The world tried to construct a picture of Jesus, but Jesus shows up on the scene and looks a little bit different. How often in our lives do we try to construct a picture of Jesus as well? How often do we walk into our lives and say, I love Jesus, that guy's great, he saved me from hell, super big plus of being a Christian, but this is kind of what I want him to look like. I want him to be the guy that like frees me from pain, yeah, that'd be great. I want him to be the guy that gives me community. That'd be awesome. I, I want him to be the guy that like tells me when I'm doing awesome things. How often do you construct a picture of Jesus in your mind? How many times have you opened up God's word with a few agendas for God rather than you submitting to his? How many times have you walked into your quiet time or into a camp or into a conference or a Wednesday night and saying, all right, God, here's exactly what you need to do for me? Are we any better than the people who are predicting a different Jesus? At least they didn't know who he would be like. We actually do know, but we sometimes refuse to listen. We know who he is. You know who he is. Why are you picturing a different Jesus? We need to picture the Jesus of the Bible. 
If he's a God that you can manipulate into getting your way, he's not worthy of praise. If he's a God who's there for you when you want him, but he's not authority over everything in your life, he's not Lord. If he's a God who's there to simply make you happy, he's not God. He's your personal genie in a bottle. We need to see Christ and the light from Christ as exactly what it is. Are you submitting to his agenda or are you walking to him with one of your own? At camp, I want you to listen to the words of Christ unlike ever before. And I don't want you to walk in there with a single thing other than to listen. Yes, there's anxieties, there's fears, there's all these things that you might be wrestling with, but I want you to listen to Jesus. I want you to listen to his radical upside down message and see him for who he truly is. And I want you to take all the things that you know about church, all the things that you know about Jesus, put them to the side and just listen to him. Listen to him through these instructions. Don't walk to him with a million requests. Don't walk to him. He knows he cares for you. He wants you to go to him. But I want you to listen. I want you to see this light. If he's a God who you can make do whatever you want, he's not God. If he's a picture of somebody who you can control, he's not Jesus. The Jesus we know in scripture is not like this. Though he brings us joy and happiness and holiness, yes, we are called to a radical relationship with him where we are never the same. So what is this ministry like? What does he teach about? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 17. Picture Jesus, picture how you think of him every day. This is what Jesus says. For at that time, Jesus began to preach. He's beginning to change the world. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, the call of Jesus requires a decision on our end. There's no compromise. There's no half in and half out. Repentance and an embrace of Jesus is a holistic change in your life where you are never the same afterwards. There's so many reasons why people reject Jesus. And sometimes as pastors and preachers and even Christians, it's easy to try and like configure a message and we should be gracious and loving. I agree with that. But we should be like, we act really disappointed when people are like, I'm out on this, right? I, I sometimes think we need to understand that like the call of Jesus is a radical one. It is worth it. It is absolutely worth it to the end of the age but it is a holistic change. And some people would rather have their sin. And for seasons of life, I did too. But this is what Jesus says. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message of hope is super clear, but the call to repentance is necessary. The hope is there. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is a perfect place where everything is made right. But he first calls us to repent. A universal change is completely Required As the light of the world begins to unfold his universal and eternal mission to bring hope to the lost and to rid us of sin, he calls us to change our mind about sin. A great light has shown. This time in this space, people didn't see him. People didn't know. People didn't see God. They didn't listen to him for over 400 years. But for us, living when we live now, a great light has shown. Do you know that light? Do you follow that light? Does everything in your life light up around you because you have that light dear to you and close to you? That's who Jesus is. What else does he do? Verse 18 says this. 
So he's saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 18 says this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting their net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, follow me, and may I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two older brothers, James, uh, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. In the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So Jesus is the light of the world. We saw that, but Jesus invites his disciples to follow him. The kingdom of God advances in a really interesting way. He calls people uh, to partake in kingdom work. He calls people like you and me into uh, kingdom work. Now, if you know James or John, if you know any of these guys mentioned, you know that they are not perfect. Honestly, these are men uh, who uh, were fishermen. It was, uh, it, was a, it was a job that was probably not completely the lowest of the low, but it certainly wasn't the, uh, something as awesome as being like a general or a king or a whatever it may be. Uh, these men are fishermen. It's a common, simple life. And he calls them. He says, hey, come follow me. You see, the kingdom of God invites human beings into ushering in the kingdom of God. Uh, God could have done anything, right? It's so, awesome. it's so awesome reading scripture and knowing that God could have done anything. He, he can do anything. And this is what he does. It's an upside down kingdom of God, right? We need an army. We need a host of angels coming down to wipe out sin. And he goes to a couple of fishermen. He says, hey, could Come follow me. That's what the kingdom of God is. Legions and legions of infinite angels could have wiped out every single demon and sinner in history. And Jesus looks at a couple guys who are fishing, and to be honest, aren't probably great at fishing. Talks about they're always mending their nets, which means they're dragging their nets on the bottom of the ocean and breaking them. Um, And he says, follow me. You see, Jesus calls us in to a relationship with him. Jesus calls us to usher in the kingdom of God. Jesus chooses to partner with people. The all-created one is using his broken creation to fulfill his, his plans. Right? The infinite and perfect creator using us, broken instruments, broken uh, tools in the Redeemer's hand to usher in the kingdom of God. That's what he does. That's what he invites you into. Every time you see someone serving at church, every single time you see someone preaching, every single time you see your mother or father reading scripture over you, uh, they are taking up hand in hand with Jesus and ushering in the kingdom of God, right? The spirit is guiding them along, giving them the words to say, the strength to do it, uh, the church to be a part of. God's doing all the work, but we have the opportunity to serve in the kingdom of God, perfect creator, using us, broken creation, to fix the world around us. The invitation from Jesus, look at this. What was it met with? The invitation from Jesus is met with immediate and total obedience. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Are you willing to immediately listen to Christ? no matter how large the calling, no matter how different the change, no matter how difficult the Rome seeds ahead of you, are you willing to listen and follow Jesus immediately? Wherever he calls you, however he calls you. So often we get right before these camps and conferences, we say things like, I want you to speak to me. I want you to change things about my life. And oftentimes, 
uh, God calls us to change. We, like we, we, We're almost willing to be like, Jesus, I would die for you. I would go to China to, uh, to start a church for you. I do all these amazing things. And oftentimes, God is just calling us to the school that we go to. God is just calling us to a group of friends that we have. God is calling us to personal holiness. And we're like, well, I don't know about that part. Well, like in the future, I'll do all these other things, right? But God has called you to something right now. And he requires immediate obedience. When he says, follow me, we say yes, immediately. There was probably a relationship. They'd seen Jesus before. It's unlikely that this is the very first encounter with these men. But when Jesus calls us, right, even if you know him, even if you're saved, even if you've been walking with him for years, whenever he tells you to do something, again, it's always at moments where we go and we listen to God's word for an extended amount of time, camps, conferences, whatever it is. When God calls you to do something, listen. Be sensitive to where the Holy Spirit is leading you and what he's teaching you. Listen to the words of Jesus. Listen carefully. He invites his disciples to follow him. Now the disciples are dropping their nets in the middle of the day. This is symbolic of a few things, right? They're not just missing out on a couple fish to catch. They're missing out on their, their old livelihood. They're leaving their family. They're leaving everything that they have come to know. Family's everything in this age and time. Family is, it, it's so much more connected than we are in our day and culture. But leaving your family is such a big deal, but it is worth it for the call of Christ. What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to say goodbye to? They're leaving behind their entire lives. They're leaving behind everything for Jesus. The invitation to follow Jesus and usher in the kingdom of God will look like you leaving behind a few things from this world. Always. There's always something that God is calling to, uh, you to give up when you're striving to follow after him. God, I want to serve you so much. I would love to serve you however you call me, but preferably I'd like to be with this person that I call my boyfriend and girlfriend right now forever. That would be awesome if we could do this thing together. God, I want to serve you as citizens on Wednesday night, but certainly not at my school, right? That, that place is super lost, super, de- super not Christian. I'll, I'll serve on Wednesday night. God, I want to serve you, but I want to be in this part of the country, and I want to have like this type of job, and I want to have like this type of family. When we are called by Christ, there is only one appropriate response. Yes. Yes and amen. I will do this for you. This language that I'm just joking about, it's not consistent with scripture, but why do we approach modern kingdom work like that? Why do we try to fit the kingdom of God and the American dream into the nice little perfect succinct like thing we can hold in our hands and control? The two couldn't be quite the opposite. I know it's hard to understand where we've grown up and how we've lived, but the kingdom of God is calling us to deeper levels of service and deeper levels of understanding who he is. What the kingdom of God requires from us is to give up the world. That's what the kingdom requires. Because the more you lose from this world, the more you see the kingdom of God. The more things that you sacrifice from this world, the more you clearly see God's mission, God's authority, and God's plan for your life. That's just how it is. And these disciples, they're no fools, right? They're not the sharpest knives in the drawer. And that's awesome, right, for us to understand is we're just normal people in this room, right? Uh, But they are smart enough to understand that the call of Jesus is worth more than anything that they've had. And it's the same for us in our lives. So if God speaks to you this weekend at camp, God shows you, reveals you something, what's your response going to be like? What are you going to say? Who are you going to tell? What are you going to do? 
personal commitment to Jesus, no matter where he leads. The call to Jesus is a call to service that may feel intimidating, but it is also a good call. It is not just a call to be a disciple of Jesus. It is a call to be discipled by Jesus, right? Hear me on this. When we follow after Christ, he is promising that he will be with us to the very end. This is an intimidating and scary call. Yes, I don't want you to hear anything different, but it is a promise that Jesus will be our shepherd, our good shepherd to the end of the day, and it is worth it. It is worth more than anything that you are working for right now outside of the kingdom. I can promise you that. God's kingdom knows no end, and I would rather spend my life toiling for that than anything else, and I want the same for you. I want that for our ministry, and I want that just for you as a person, as a young person, deciding what they want their life to be like. I want your response to be like the disciples here. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Of course, fishermen. And Jesus flips the word, right? He says, fishers of men. And they're like, oh, yes. I see Jesus. I can do that, right? And the call to uh, the ministry of Christ is a call that is worth it. And so what else does he say in our time here as we're closing up? These men leave. They know Jesus is worth everything. They know they can't have anything in this world uh, worth worshiping, anything in this world that will outlast them, outlive them other than the ministry of Jesus. So they follow him. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Verse 23 says this. And Jesus, he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among people. So his fame spread throughout all of Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, all those afflicted with various diseases and pains, and those oppressed by demons uh, and and paralytics and elliptic, and, 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 uh, and, and he healed them. He healed the crowds that followed him from Galilee uh, to Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. Jesus is changing everything. His ministry knows no end. This is where Jesus begins to change the world. This is where Jesus begins to change the world, a moment in time that we can never return to. Thank God for that. A great light has shone. And this is what he's doing. He is healing. It says he does three things. It says he's teaching. He is proclaiming or preaching, some translations say, and he's healing. These are three things that we see Jesus do all the time. Teaching. He is teaching people to understand. Teaching is to get people to understand. Proclaiming or preaching, that's calling people to respond. That's a big difference between teaching and preaching or teaching and proclaiming. Right? When you get up here, there's a level of teaching. You just need to understand what this whole thing's about. He just needs to teach people what's going on. And proclaiming or preaching is calling us to respond. And healing, of course, is miraculous, casting out of sickness, casting out of disease, casting out of any affliction. See, Jesus comes for the sick. I want you to listen to this. Jesus comes for the sick. Jesus comes for the broken. He comes for the confused and those that need to know. He comes to the hopeless, to the lost, to the wanderers who need to be rallied behind truth. That's who Jesus is here for. His audience is desperate, not proud. His audience is sick, not healed. His audience is starving, not full. That's who Jesus came for. And those are the ones who were healed and changed by Jesus. If you and I 
want to be in a position where we are ministered to by Jesus, we need to have our hearts and mindset in the right place. There are moments where Jesus just grips us in our sin and our pain, and I get that, I understand that. But so often, we refuse to listen to the Lord because we're expecting him to say one thing, and often he calls us to another thing. Oftentimes, we so desperately want to hear from the Lord, but our pride and our selfishness gets in the way. God, I don't need you. I, I know exactly what you're, I, I should be good. These people aren't hiding their wounds. These people aren't starving in secrecy. These people aren't trying to be something that they're not. These people that Jesus is healing are full on right before him saying, I have nothing Uh, I need to be healed, right? This disease is going to kill me. I need help. And that's what Jesus does. He heals us. He heals us ultimately from the sickness of sin. But he comes to the humble. The kingdom of God is built of humble people. And Jesus speaks to the humble. He opposes the proud. That's clear in scripture, right? If you're saying, well, Jesus can speak to anyone. I agree, but he opposes the proud. I don't want your pride getting in the way of what Jesus is trying to tell you. I don't want you hiding and covering your wounds and your sickness, your anxieties, whatever it is, before God and refusing to be ministered to by him. I don't want that for you. I want you to know and understand who Jesus came here for. Pride, apathy, disinterest should have no place in our hearts as we prepare to be ministered to by him. I want us to be desperate. Right? Desperation, it's not a, like an awesome word, right? If you're like, that person's really desperate, right? They've asked you out on 25 dates and you're like, no, you're super desperate. You should stop talking to me, please, please. Okay, right? Desperation isn't like an awesome thing in our culture, but I want you to be desperate for Jesus. I want you to be like, I don't have anything. I don't have anything. I need everything. I need help. I'm not who I want to be. I need to listen to your words. I need to be healed by you. I need passion for you. I need fervency for you. I need a calling from you. I need all these things. I want us to be desperate for Jesus, not reciting his own words back to him. Like, yeah, I know this. I've heard this before. I think I've heard that. Actually, I memorized this in second grade. So like, I know this, right? I don't want that for us. I want us to be shamelessly broken before him, not just standing there bleeding and thinking, you know, God, I think this is your plan for me, and I'm just gonna accept this. God uses sickness, and he, 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 he uses pain that we go through for his glory and his, his glory alone, and that's awesome to understand. But there are so many times where I feel like God wants to minister to us, but we're just too darn prideful. We think we have all the answers. We think we know what Jesus is like. I want us to be desperate. I want us to go to him with our wounds and our brokenness. I want us to be hungry for him, not nibbling on the garbage of this world, not stuffed to the brim with things that are going to bring us death. I want you to be ready to listen to him. We see the ministry of Jesus echo across 2,000 years, and it is not slowing down, but I don't want you to stand in the way. I don't want you to just get completely so caught up in your pride and selfishness that you're not ready to listen to him. I want you to know Christ. I want us to be desperate for him. Jesus changes the world. Jesus changes the world. But are you ready for him to change yours? It's in his nature. It's in his character to do so. And that's our main idea. Jesus' ministry and message turns the world upside down. Jesus' ministry and his message turns the world upside down. Dipping into 
uh, chapter 5, right here. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them. If you're coming to camp, we're going to hear all about what Jesus talked about. From all across the Gospel of Matthew. And I want you to listen. I'm excited for camp. I'm, I'm excited. It's going to be awesome. There's going to be a lot of fun and games. There's going to be crazy moments and memories that we share together. And it's, it's going to be great. And there's so many things that we look forward to. I don't want you to walk into camp hyped. I, I, I mean, I want you to be a little excited. That's fine. I don't want you walking into camp thinking, my team's going to win and this is why. This is our strategy, bro. I don't want you to be like, oh, dude, I can't wait to stay up till 3 a.m. All these things are fine. I want you to walk into camp ready to listen from God, from his word. That's what I want more than anything. I want you to walk into camp ready to listen to the words of Jesus. Right? What we believe about scripture is we believe that it's inspired by God, perfect in every single way, so that when we preach from God's word, Jesus will be speaking to you. I believe that in a very real sense, and the Holy Spirit helps us understand scripture. And it's a beautiful thing that happens. And more than anything going into camp, I want you to listen. I want you to listen. We're about to hear about the upside-down kingdom. The world would never be the same. And I'm praying that at this camp, for some people, their world will never be the same. The ministry of Jesus has already been working for 2,000 years. The world's not what it would have been. The world is not what it should be, but it's becoming more and more uh, reconciled to Christ every day, I believe. But I want this to be a moment in time where somebody walks away and says, not only is the world different because of the ministry of Jesus, my life is different. And this is the moment and the time and space where this happened. And I have a simple prayer for you. As the band comes up, we're going to pray here in a second. I have a simple prayer for you. I'd like for you to pray this over the next few days. I believe God will answer this prayer in the affirmative. God, help me listen. God, help me listen. God, help me listen. As you open your word, would you help me to listen? That's it. That's all I want you to pray. You can pray about other things, sure. But I want you to pray this prayer. I want you to walk in, Bibles open, distractions put away, ready to listen. And if you actually do listen, I believe everything's going to be different. I believe that. I believe the world will change for you like he turned the world upside down. Jesus, the ministry of Christ, changes everything. But I am ready for lives in this room to be changed. I pray that for you. God, help us listen. Lord, we love you. We're thankful for your son, Jesus came to usher in the kingdom of God. God, the ministry of healing, the ministry of teaching, the ministry of preaching, all these things amazing, only you could do them. We know we're not enough to heal our own sickness or our own disease physically or the disease of sin. Our world is broken and we need a light in the darkness. God, there's so many people in this room who are putting on a face. God, forgive me when that's been me. God, I pray that you would continue to reveal and to guide us, to show us you are so much better than anything in this world. As we take a glimpse into this upside down kingdom and we think, what? Can this be true? Would you show us that yes, it is, and this is worthy of committing our lives to? God, would you rally a group of people who are passionate for you out of desperate need and reverence for you? Would we worship you? Would we sing? God, we pray that people would be healed. We pray that people would be passionate. We pray that you would redirect us, you would convict us, 
And God, would you save us? We're praying for these things because only you could do them. God, if we walk back from camp and we have a bunch of awesome stories about how fun the games were or how cool the lake was or whatever it is, then like we've failed. We don't want that. We want this to be the moment for some people where our lives are never the same. Thank you for the ministry of your kingdom. Thank you for the ministry of your teaching, your word. Thank you that you call us. Help us to be obedient. Help us to listen. We love you, Lord. We pray all this, Jesus, in your perfect name. Amen.